0: This is The River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. Hey folks, this is Sam Carter, your host here at The River Radius Podcast. We are right in the middle of our giveaway of the Downriver Clear Creek Cataract Package, and you can still enter. Do that by going to our website, www.theriverradius.com. There's a giveaway link. Follow those steps. The River Radius is doing this giveaway along with Downriver Equipment, and we are giving away this Downriver Clear Creek Cataraft Package. This is a sweet, full build of a cataraft. A pair of 12-foot high-side Nimbus cataraft tubes, a Downriver Clear Creek frame, a set of three 8.5-foot Sawyer Polecat oars, and enough straps to put it all together. This is a one-person cataraft built for running rapids. You can carry a little bit of gear with you. This giveaway will run until April 10, of 2023. You can see this boat in person at the end of March at Raftopia in Denver at Downriver Equipment's huge spring sales event. I will be there at Raftopia as the MC on March 31 and April 1. Come out, say hello, let's shake hands. Go to the River Radius website, www.theriverradius.com, and follow the entry steps. And now, we truly begin today's episode. Here is the Western Meadowlark. This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome.
1: The heart of Leave No Trace is several things. Honoring the river and the land that's a part of that river by minimizing your human impact to it. You get to come and enjoy and have these amazing experiences, take away memories. This is your way of returning a thank you and honoring that river um, by following these principles.
0: This episode comes to you from the inside view of river-focused LNT, also known as Leave No Trace. As river season ramps up in many regions, we talk with two experts about LNT for river corridors and how to best have a blast on the river and how to keep anyone else from knowing you were there. Mackenzie Holbrook is an LNT educator and the coordinator of the outdoor program at Colorado Mesa University. And Coulter Pence is a river manager for the Flathead National Forest in Montana. We start with Mackenzie Holbrook introducing herself and telling us about LNT. My
2: name is Mackenzie Holbrook, and I'm located in Grand Junction, Colorado. Can
0: you tell me where Grand Junction is in relation to rivers?
2: Yeah, Grand Junction is located on the western slope of Colorado, and I think we are really located in like the mecca of desert river running. Um, really, any river is pretty close. Like Ruby Horse Thief is in our backyard. It takes 45 minutes to get to the Westwater put-in. You can be at the put-in for Deso in five hours, Gates of Lador in four hours, Cataract in two hours. You can be on the Moab Daily in an hour and 10 minutes. I mean, that's one of the reasons I love living here is because we are surrounded by amazing desert rivers.
0: Okay. And would you you tell me about your work with rivers? I understand you have three distinct ways that you engage with rivers for work can you tell me about each of those please
2: yeah so i run the outdoor program here at colorado mesa university and a huge piece of what we do with rivers is we have a lot of trips that go out um, but really we do trainings all around campus whether that be teaching classes on how to go river rafting having weekend trips where our trip leaders are taking students out rafting Um, We teach Leave No Trace classes. I teach Swiftwater Rescue here at the university. I also have my own business called Humankinda, and that is a strictly like Swiftwater Rescue class business. And my main goal with that is I really like to do like female-focused classes, kind of remove that ego piece of Swiftwater Rescue trainings. Um, But I'm really trying to dip into those underserved populations um, that don't really have that access that you would think or maybe are a little bit intimidated by taking a swift water rescue course Uh, and i'm also a leave no trace master educator
0: and so that the leave no trace master educator is the third portion is that lnt education portion is that river focused or is that all landscapes
2: um it is all landscapes and i guess it shouldn't have been the third i mean in business wise it is but it's really just like a lifestyle and a way that you do everything. So, like LNT principles are part of every other job that I do and just like how I personally live my life.
0: Let's talk about LNT, otherwise known as Leave No Trace. Uh, how, how would you answer the question, what is LNT?
2: LNT is a set of outdoor and environmental ethics, um, it has seven main principles to it. And it's all about protecting the wild spaces that we love. That's a very short answer, obviously, of what L and T is.
0: That's great. Origins. The origins of Leave No Trace. What can you what do you know about the origins, like when this started, where, why it started?
2: The actual Leave No Trace, I mean, it started in 1994 as an actual organization. Um, but in the 60s um, is when these land managers, like National Park Service, BLM, Forest Service, um, started noticing the numbers, like I think they almost tripled in the 1960s. And from there, they just kind of started what was called No Trace. Um, and so they had their own principles. Um, that they were trying to teach individuals that were now starting to frequent these outdoor spaces. Um, the principles are very similar to Leave No Trace, but Leave No Trace became an actual organization in 1994. And it started because there was just becoming so much use um, and there wasn't that education piece to teach people how to get out and properly protect these spaces.
0: And and do you get paid by them, the Leave No Trace organization? Like Is that how this works? Or are you a volunteer with them?
2: Uh no, I am a volunteer with them. You do not really get paid when you're a trainer or master educator for them. Um really in my mind like I paid to get my master educator certification because I wanted to be able to just share that knowledge even more and help other people become aware of these principles.
0: And let's talk about those seven principles of LNT. What can you tell me about the seven principles and maybe <laughs> like the short side of the summary because it can become a long-winded exploration.
2: I mean, in my mind, the seven principles are all so intertwined. I don't think there's one principle that stands out on its own. Um, You know, so we start with principle one, which is plan ahead and prepare. And the other six principles like fall perfectly underneath that. I kind of wish this wasn't just a uh, podcast and it was an actual video because then you could do the fun like hand motions that go with each of them.
0: How how about you do hand motions, but describe the hand motions.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So principle one, plan ahead and prepare, like I'm writing on a notebook. Principle number two, travel and camp on durable surfaces. So I have both of my fingers walking down my arm. Principle number three, pack out your trash. Um, so that's like I've got three fingers and like I'm digging a cat hole with them. Principle number four. Take only pictures, leave only footprints. So you can see I'm like making a like a photo shape with my fingers. Number five, campfire safety. So I'm making a campfire with my fingers. Um, Principle number six, respect wildlife. So I'm giving myself antlers. And principle number seven, respect other users. So I'm saying hi and give them a peace sign for bye. And that's number seven.
0: That's great. That that might be the most (laughs) animated anything I've had on this podcast. I really (laughs) like that. It's
2: super fun. It's a great way, especially when you're working with younger populations, to get everyone to remember them.
0: Downriver is a river gear company based in Denver, Colorado. You can go to their shop in person in Denver, and you can go to their online shop at www.downriverequip.com. Downriver is hosting Raftopia at the end of March raftopia is a famous event that takes place each spring to kick off rafting season if you attend raftopia you will have incredible deals on new and used gear and you'll be able to check out brand new products and you can meet with dozens of industry leaders and friends within the river community the raftopia sale starts march 27 and the big in-person event takes place on friday march 31st and saturday april 1st and i will be there Yes, the River Radius will be there, and I am the MC for the Raftopia event at Downriver. Come on down and say hey, find a great deal on some river gear, and meet rad river people. You can find Downriver equipment and info on Raftopia online at www.downriverequip.com. American Whitewater is our second sponsor today. The American Whitewater website and River Database app are tremendous resources for our river-loving community. Before putting on a river, you have access to water level information, flow range beta, and rapid descriptions for rivers all across the country. American Whitewater's robust river data is supported by membership dollars. Not only does American Whitewater help to provide you with all the beta you need for trip planning, their stewardship programs seek to maintain and expand public access to those rivers and many more around Colorado and the country. I am a member of American Whitewater, and the River Radius is a partner with American Whitewater. American Whitewater will be at Raftopia in Denver on March 31st and April 1st. Go say howdy to them, learn about their work, and become a member. You can find American Whitewater online at www.americanwhitewater.org. Our second guest to explore l today is Coulter Pence, Coulter is a river manager in Montana with United States Forest Service. Coulter was awarded River Manager of the Year in 2021 by the River Management Society and she is part of a new series for Montana PBS all about River LNT. is Coulter Pence.
1: Hi there, my name is Coulter Pence. I live and work in the Flathead area of Montana, that's Northwest Montana. Um, My office with the Forest Service is in Hungry Horse. I work at the Hungry Horse Ranger Station with the Flathead National Forest. Related to rivers, I work with the Three Forks of the Flathead, Wild and Scenic River. Um, I also have a few other duties that I uh, do with my job. I work with the northern portion of the Bob Marshall Wilderness Complex. I um, work with the trails program as well. I'm a river manager, and so I coordinate a number of river rangers, We'll have five and a half river rangers with our program on the North Fork and Middle Fork. And then on the South Fork, there will be at least three, I would say. So a total of seven and a half.
0: So you ma- you manage that crew of rangers?
1: Yes, that's the case. Yeah.
0: And do you get on the water with the, r- the rangers during the seasons?
1: Oh, yeah. I'll go out several times um, for upfront training, making sure everybody's on the same page, that we both skill-wise are comfortable where everybody is, but also following through with some talking points on public contacts some leave no trace. And then I'll um, do a few occasional trips um, after that, depending on um, is there something that I haven't seen in a while on the river? Is there um, maybe an area um, needs a little extra focus or we we'll do management trips to like um, take some of our um, invited guests, leaders, community leaders, Forest Service leaders, partners out to go showcase and talk about some things you know in the trails world we would say go kick the dirt a little bit and talk about things but in the river world i suppose the analogy there is go splash the water a little bit or throw rocks i don't know uh,
0: the other thing i want to ask about before we roll into the deeper T conversation is that you are a part of the of a pbs series coming out soon can you tell me about that also please
1: Yeah. um, So in Montana, um, there's a project we're working on. Um, The lead is Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks, Montana and and Montana um, Public Broadcasting and um, Forest Services um, part of it as well. Um, And the goal is to um, develop and release a a couple of videos centered around Leave No Trace, River Recreation Leave No Trace in Montana, and um, provide um, the principles behind Leave No Trace, the information behind Leave No Trace, but contextualize it to Montana. Um, And so last summer, we did a couple of float trips on different rivers. We did host the filming crew here on the Three Forks so they could get some action shots of demonstration of Leave No Trace. It's meant to educate people who um, need a, um, either a refresher on Leave No Trace, Montana style, or maybe they're new to recreating in this um, state and need a little more context on how to do proper river recreation here.
0: What, what do action shots of l and look like?
1: Yeah, well, when, um, we set up um, fire pans a couple of times, right? You know, <laughs> um, different different camps, different angles. Um, we role modeled sort of acting out um, how to select a site on a durable surface. You know, let's set up the tent on this already impacted site. Um, and um, for Montana, this... Um, food storage, which relates, um, for us, the way I say food storage, I mean, um, storing your food properly in bear country, which relates to respect wildlife, undoubtedly. So role modeling, um, how to handle your food and, uh, food attract and, and, and attractants for bears. Um, we did not role model particularly in detail disposal of waste, but there was, you know, we, we did make sure there was a Groover, uh, in, in some of the shots there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not full action. Just kind of. Yeah. 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 yeah surmised. Yeah. So what do you what do you hear from your rangers and what do you observe that goes well with L and T? Like how how are the humans who are traveling through the rivers of of your of your zone up there? um, how are they doing? What what goes well in terms of L and T practices?
1: Well, one of the things that comes natural to us, I think, in um, Northwest Montana, Montana broadly in the river context, is having a healthy awareness of respect wildlife. I kind of mentioned that earlier, I think, that uh, because we have bears, and I'm not saying just grizzly bears, we just have a lot of bears, black bears, grizzly bears, no polar bears yet. But being prepared to respect wildlife, you are we are in grizzly bear country and we are there on bear terms. So being ready to respect wildlife by... Um, managing your food, your kitchens well, keeping it clean, um, managing your scraps and your trash well, storing that properly and packing that out. Um, You know, there's all kinds of people that could do a better job with that or maybe you're taking a little risk. But I think that's a natural conversation point for anybody recreating here. And I think um, I want to give credit for people also um, trying their best to plan ahead and prepare on the Forest Service side And I work closely with our Glacier National Park neighbors. Well, and also I wanna give credit to a nonprofit partner of ours, um, Flathead Rivers Alliance and Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks. We're trying to increase and heighten our plan ahead and prepare resources so that people have access to information so they can make smart choices, be prepared and make smart choices once they're here. And I appreciate people who are calling, emailing, not just to ask questions, but to give us feedback on what we can do better for that um, purpose. Hey, I wanted to get this information. I couldn't find it where not only where is it, but can you make that easier for me to find things like that? That's what comes to my mind around that
0: to hear the other end of that question that Coulter just answered about what humans do well regarding l and t we return to Mackenzie holbrook l n t educator and coordinator of the outdoor program at Colorado Mesa University to get her interpretation from from your work with LNT and your work with rivers. I'm curious what you see as some of the more consistently impactful actions that we as humans have in river corridors and that and actions that we might not really even know that we are leaving behind.
2: Yeah, I guess I would say like the biggest impact, especially in a river corridor is one, just the massive amount of people who are going down these areas I keep using Ruby Horse Thief cuz it's literally in my backyard and I go down Ruby like 15 to 20 times a year because it's there and I can. But when you go to book a site, you know, they've got 20 something sites and sometimes every single one of those are taken. I mean, so we're talking about an area that tens of thousands of people are going down every single year and it really comes down to the fact of you know, there's not really one way in which I think an impact is left specifically i think it's just that collective number of people that then makes a larger impact overall like even something as simple as certain camps where people are not using kitchen mats or are not cleaning up their food at night and now we've got ringtail cats at camp every single night
0: what are ringtail cats and what's the problem I've seen it, but I don't (laughs) even. know. That's a really
2: good question. What is a ringtail cat? They're really cute, and they have big eyes, and they've got rings on their tail. The problem is they like to get into everything. They will eat right through a bag, get all of your food out, and just snack on it, which causes a nuisance to humans. Now we are teaching these wild creatures where to find other food sources,
0: and so, if someone comes before me to a camp and they're real sloppy and they leave behind lots of micro food scraps in the sand because they didn't use a floor, and then the ringtail cats will show up probably, I come into camp. I might be a better picker upper of my my food scraps might have a floor, but I'm still probably gonna be dealing with ringtail cats because of previous campers. Is that what you're you're expressing?
2: Yes, exactly.
0: What else? What so? In the, let's talk a little bit about the kitchen. Uh, what else happens with the kitchen? I understand ants can be a problem. Um, other in other zones, I've heard in other kind of regions, river regions, I've, I, I know that um, yellow jackets can be a problem, a really intense problem. They'll fly into sodas and other beverages and you get them in your mouth. Talk oh, about yeah. talk about those kinds of things and and like what's happening there and how and I guess really the bigger question then is so like ringtail cats. Use a, use a mat, a kitchen floor, kitchen tarp, whatever it is, just a regular blue tarp and pick up your scraps. How do we deal with ants, yellow jackets, other kitchen creatures?
2: Ants and yellow jackets, especially yellow jackets. That's so hard. Cause I feel like, you know, last time I was on Desso, I actually got stung by one and it was just while I was cooking. So they're just so used to those scents and know to come around, but really it's, you know, just being mindful and intentional in every single action that you take. So not thinking to yourself, oh, cool. I dropped some food, but it fell on my kitchen mat. So I'm going to worry about it later. It's okay. I dropped food. It's on my kitchen mat. I'm going to go ahead and pick it up. So the ants don't come. Or instead of when you finish cooking dinner, um, you sit down and you eat and you have a few beers. Instead, you go ahead, you finish cooking dinner, you clean up right away and then you relax. So it's just giving these, I mean, I don't really know if I would call a yellow jacket, a wild creature, but it is a part of our wild ecosystem. And so it's giving them less opportunities um, to like be involved in our human, I don't know what the word for that would be, our human ways.
0: Our little traveling vacation where we bring our life to them and they have to accept us. We try not to be mm-hmm. too invasive.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then they sting us and we get upset. And right. Yeah.
0: Um, tell me about dogs. Uh, dogs on rivers. Um, dogs are, I, I like dogs. I've had dogs. I used to take my dogs on river trips. And dogs, you know, dogs do what dogs do. And they get to camp. They cruise around. They sniff. They pee on things. They probably take a poop somewhere. And they dig holes to cool off. And they chase all the kinds of animals and critters. And I'm doing all these L&T things for myself. What's what's up with dogs in LT and river corridors?
2: You know, I think about this often because any opportunity I have to take my two dogs with me, whether it be rafting, mountain biking, backcountry skiing, literally anything, I take my dogs. They deserve to get out too. Um but then when we really start diving into these leave no trace principles, it's like, well, do they do they know what Bust the crust means. Like they don't know how to differentiate between cryptobiotic soil and a normal path or a rock. You know, when it comes to respecting other users or respecting wildlife, yeah, sometimes they do chase a deer or they wander over to the camp next door with someone who's really not interested in hanging out with a dog. That's a really tough one. They do stuff that you're like, oh, that's totally not LNT. So do we start banning dogs from all of these wild spaces? You know, would it be fair to my dogs if every time we went rafting and we got to camp, I just put them on a leash and they couldn't go sniff around? But I think that's my favorite part of L&T and why I love it so much is because it it is a conversation. There's not always a black and white, like, this is correct and this is not. You know, it's always that constant conversation of... This is what I know, and this is what I'm trying to do, and I'm trying my best. Like, what do you think is the best to do? And then we can have that conversation and go from there. I mean, I always go around and pick up my dog's poop and just throw it in the Groover. But I'll usually do, like, a morning camp sweep. It's not like I'm following my dogs around everywhere. So I'm sure I miss a poop here and there, too.
0: So if it's a gray area, if dogs are a gray area, then what are some kind of, like, some curbs that a dog owner might use to take their dog, their dog out and not be, not be creating havoc or, uh, you know, bothering other people or having the dog chase deer and do all kinds of things that aren't necessarily, uh, I don't even know what the word is, (laughs) but like, yeah, things that are lacking in L and T. I
2: mean, I, I think it's just like being very conscious of what your dog is doing at all times and maybe finding other things that your dog really enjoys doing at camp. Um so they're not running around chasing animals. You know, so but I think, you know, part of it too is like some people really don't pay attention to what their dogs are doing. Or it might get to a certain point in the evening where I put them in the tent so I don't have to be like worrying about what they're doing at all times.
0: Let's talk about the kitchen a little more. Are there any other like what are, what are some things you suggest? Like there's the L&T, like with the kitchen, use a dishwashing system, uh, use a floor. Do you think there's any other important elements of kind of kitchen care for when you're in the kitchen and also when you're not in the kitchen? If you get to camp, set up your camp and you want to roll out and go for a hike or go take a nap or go swim and just be away from your kitchen for a few hours. Any other mm-hmm. thoughts on good L&T management for kitchens?
2: I mean, one, I would say just make sure that all of your food and like, let's say you have an open can of soda sitting on your table. Just make sure those things are put away and stored properly, like in a closed dry box. So that way we're not getting ants crawling up all over your table. And then also like using your bleach water from when you're doing your dishes and just wiping down those table surfaces. So they're not covered with like ground beef or Kool-Aid stains I'm just making up random things that sound attracting. If I'm a bug or a bear,
0: and what would like, what would the the, what's the problem of leaving behind drippy beef and drippy Kool Aid stains on your table? (laughs) Aside that you wouldn't probably do it at home, but whatever. (laughs) You're on the river. Who cares? Why does it matter to get rid of it out there?
2: Because it's going to attract different types of wildlife and bugs. They're going to be able to smell it. They're going to want to come to your camp and enjoy that. That could then change their own habits and make them a little more domesticated in a sense. Um, and they could also just start to get used to that human interaction and not worry as much anymore. And there's definitely some spots you go to now where like you have to worry about bears on desert rivers because there's been enough human interaction with them.
0: Let's stick with the bugs, though, for a minute. What happens when ants become when an ant expects there to be a food source in a camp, what then do the ants do to that camp? Long after I'm gone from camping there, what are they doing there?
2: Coming to check it out. I mean, like, man, that was delicious. Let's go back for some more. Let's build a little colony right here so we don't even have to travel anymore. I mean, as with any most, like most any creature, you are choose the path of least resistance, right? Setting up your colony right next to where most people set up their river kitchens you know it's one and the same we all just want to do things as easy as possible
0: river beta is just scratching the surface of what you can find on the american whitewater website whether you are seeking information on whitewater safety or the legal rights of boaters to access our nation's rivers or responsible boating guidance americanwhitewater.org has it all membership dollars fund this amazing online resource I use AmericanWhitewater.org to check flows, to learn about a stretch of river for boating, and to read river-related news. American Whitewater will be at Raftopia in Denver on March 31st and April 1. Come check them out, learn about their work, and become a member. I'm a member of American Whitewater, and the River Radius is a partner with American Whitewater. You can find American Whitewater online at www.americanwhitewater.org downriver is a river gear company based in denver colorado you can go to their shop in person in denver and you can go to their online shop at www.downriverequip.com downriver is hosting raftopia at the end of march raftopia is downriver's annual major gear sale the sale has new gear and used gear it begins march 27 and culminates on march 31st and april 1st friday and saturday with an outdoor parking lot sales event with many of your favorite gear companies on site in person plus Customers will have a chance to win huge prizes that range from smaller gear to entire raft and frame packages. And I will MC the event. Yes, the River Radius will be there in person. Come on down and say hey, find some great deals on river gear and meet Rad River people. You can find Downriver Equipment online at www.downriverequip.com and in today's show notes. Do you recall the episode we published, The History of the Groover? It goes into great detail to explain what was happening before groovers were in place. It's a fascinating history. And still today, some stretches of rivers don't require a human carryout system for solid waste. So to hear more about what happens in lieu of the groover, we again speak with Coulter Pence. I'm assuming your regulations are that people bring a groover and use a groover.
1: It depends on exactly what we're talking about. One of the forks requires solid human waste containment, our emphasis on the solid human waste component. And uh, another stretch, um, solid human waste containment if you're camping at a place that does not have an outhouse. So you can plan and design your trip around using the outhouses if you wanted to. But if you want the f- freedom flexibility to um, camp in a different area that doesn't have an outhouse... Um, or you just don't want to use the outhouse. Well, plan, um, plan ahead to bring your um, solid human waste containment system. It, um, and then there's another stretch where we don't require anything at this time. So it depends on where you go. And I'll just double down on this. That's a part of plan ahead and prepare for the three forks of the mm-hmm. flathead. Because um, how you're going to prepare for that is going to depend on where you're going.
0: So you have a stretch where people can just dig cat holes and that's that's normal.
1: That's, that's the case right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that one. Because when I was a ranger... Um, and even in my non ranger river days, <laughs> I've definitely have found uh where people have gone and dug cat holes and, and and I don't think there's anything wrong with it if people know what they're doing and they go far away and they dig them really deep and they do all the things yeah. and they really cover them and they But there's a couple of factors I think that happen. And I just want I just I don't really know if there's a question, just maybe a discussion in this, but in my experience, often people are digging super shallow cat yeah. holes. And leaving toilet paper in there and some, and in in these, in certain soil conditions, that toilet paper does not stay buried very long. And then you have these little toilet paper blooms. Talk about that, will you? What are your thoughts on that? What do you see? What do you hear about? What do you, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. Well, to do it right, you got to put in some effort and it's not like last minute. Oh, I'm going to run. I'm going to go now. And uh, things are pressing and urgent. Um, Cat hole option. That's not a shortcut. You need to do that right if you're able to do that. So that's one thing that comes to my mind is you got to manage it and not shortcut, even if you're um, in a scenario where we don't have to use um, a human waste containment system. Um, the other thing I sort of think about as a manager and as being on the river and um, as a part of that leave no trace principle, being considerate of other visitors. Yeah, your poo can make an impact on the resource and other visitors just as much as theirs makes on you. So don't shortcut that. Use the groover or if you have the option to cat hole, do it right and plan ahead and don't wait till the last minute either.
0: How how do you properly dig a cat hole?
1: Well, you got to have a shovel, of course. You want to find the right soil type and not be impacting um, vegetation that's valuable in the area. You want to be separate from camp. You I believe you want to be about 300 feet or more away from water source itself. So there's not, you are not spreading it that way. Um, so you got to prepare in that way. Um, and then you got to cover things thoroughly, um, so that another animal or another human doesn't stumble upon that and have an unfortunate, um, encounter. Those are some of the things to think about.
0: And toilet paper. Does it go in the hole or does it go home?
1: Well, yeah. Toilet paper, toilet paper should come out. That's best practice, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Um, Whether you burn it, if you have the option of burning or packing it out, that's the right thing to do.
0: And if you burn it, don't burn the forest down.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't burn the forest down with anything, no matter your source.
0: (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) (laughs) One of the greatest parts of camping along a river for me is the campfire in the twilight hour of the evening and then at breakfast. And campfires get a little tricky because of the regulations around fire pans and fire blankets and cleaning up of the fire ash and the charcoal. When it comes to my own riverside fires, I've used a fire pan almost always, and a few times I've opted for the fire ring, and I've caught hell from some of my friends for the fire ring. And they were right. It's lame for many reasons to leave the fire ring. The real challenge for me, and for many river runners, is cleaning up the fire ash in the morning. Where do you put it, and why do we have to carry it out? I've done it all, and I wanted to talk this one out some. So McKenzie and I worked through this topic. Campfires. Let's talk about campfires. What what is L&T saying? are the best practices for enjoying the fire, having the fire. We'll talk about the post-fire in a minute, Mm -hmm. but the having of the fire.
2: Yeah, I definitely number one is just making sure that you can have a fire. Always check the fire ban policies, especially in my mind when we're talking desert rivers because so many of these rivers, half the year, you're not going to be able to have a fire on them. And then always having a fire pan because we don't want established fire rings at every single camp. Mm Why not? They're going to fill up. No one's going to want to clean them. And someone's going to build a different ring right next to the old one so they can start enjoying a fire.
0: And um, fire blankets? What do you think of those?
2: I'm a huge proponent for the fire blanket. It keeps any little shrubs or anything like that underneath your fire pan from catching on fire. Um, But two, it's going to make it a lot easier to clean up all of the little pieces of like charcoal that... like pop out of your fire when it's burning you can then like pour your fire blanket into your fire pan and then dispose all of that in the trash
0: let's talk about that part i feel like there's two different kinds of like things to consider on what to do with the fire ash and the coal after the fire is over and that's always a challenge because it's gnarly. It's like super dusty and gets all over your hands. And if it's in the morning and you want to have a morning campfire, then you got to deal with like getting it out and maybe it becomes a wet slurry, which is a gnarly mess. We have to get rid of that. What does T say about how to get rid of your fire ash, your fire pan debris?
2: It depends, again, on the location we're at. we're in a very forested area, then we can walk around and, like, disperse it all around. So it's not this concentrated pile of fire ash. Um, But when we're talking about places like desert environments, one, you know, there's not a lot of debris for it to be scattered around in. You know, it's always out in the open for everything to see. And then specifically when we're talking about rivers... I mean, I've had countless times where I pull up on a riverbank where I'm going to camp and right along the water edge, you just see little pieces of charcoal coming in and out with the waves. A huge part of L&T is like, leave it better than you found it. You know, that's why we go out into these places is because we want to feel like they're wild and maybe like we are discovering something on our own. But when you do pull up and there is all of this human evidence, like it's a little disheartening.
0: So the dispersal, if you're going to disperse of the fire ash, the fire charcoal in a forested area, it obviously needs to be cold. The the, the ash needs to be cold. It cannot be any sort of hot. Just for clarification. Oh my gosh.
2: Yes. Well, hopefully no one would ever be just dispersing of hot ashes in any type of environment.
0: I think most forest fires are started by humans. It always is amazing to me.
2: Actually, I think it's like 96%. Yeah. It's like an absurd amount.
0: Right. It's really an incredible yeah. number. Um, you know, so let's just talk. I want to talk about like getting rid of fire ash as opposed to not putting it in the river. Um, I, I go both ways. You know, I know the regulations. I know what they say. I've been a ranger. I've been a commercial river guide and know that you're supposed to carry it out. And I've carried out a lot of ash and I've also put it in the river because there are times when it's like the cans are full. There's nowhere to put it. Like it's so hard to bring enough containers to carry it out. Like, it's almost like, I don't even know how you do it. I've done calculations on really long trips and we're like, we don't even have enough containers to carry out all that ash. And it becomes this ridiculous effort. Why can't you just put it in the river? You know, like, it's charcoal. It's super clean. It's like, when it really comes down to what it is, it's not a, it's not really a pollutant. It's like more of an eyesore. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that if it's hot and you put it in, it can actually be hot for a little bit and go downstream and maybe catch some willows on fire. Uh, I think that's fairly rare. And I think if you know what you're doing, you can, you can make sure it's not going to happen that way. You can make a slurry before you put it in. What you, mm-hmm. what, what's going on there? Just, I mean, just, you know, like, why, why is it so important? Why is, why is there such pressure to carry it out?
2: I mean, I think it all comes down to like that same principle of if everybody did it, every river corridor would be, there would just be ash everywhere. So, yeah, it is okay if every once in a while all your cans are full and you have no other options and you can't pack it out. But if that's what everyone practiced every single time we had a fire, there would just be an absurd amount of ash everywhere. And although it is clean, it's not a natural thing in desert environments. Um, You know, wildfires aren't that prevalent in desert environments. So it's not like charcoal and ash is a regular thing in these environments either. So again, this could come back to affecting wildlife, affecting the fish, affecting the plants.
0: It's like one of the greatest debates I think I've ever been a part of at, at river camps <laughs> with folks and uh, and what to do with the river ash, with the fire ash. Yeah.
2: Well, then kind of like you were saying, it sucks to pack out because you get so dirty. Yeah. Like I hate having to do it. Every time I'm like, oh, dang it. And then I always do it and i'm like okay i feel much better now
0: have you used those new fire pans that are like they're like a square low to the ground i think they're aluminum and they have a little net the
2: fireside the... pop-up pits is that what it's
0: called it's got the net yeah on the i bottom. like those
2: mm-hmm. is,
0: is that burning through fire ash better
2: it is because you're getting that like oxygen from the top and bottom and it just causes it to burn down like so much more fine I don't find you get like those big chunks of charcoal left in the bottom like you do with a metal fire pan.
0: So you you're using those, and and, and is that what you use at the program at the college program?
2: We have both, actually. You do. So we have four fireside pop up pits and four regular metal fire pans.
0: What what are they called?
2: Fireside pop up.
0: Okay. Your mm-hmm. your experience is that those are burning the chunks of charcoal better down to ash. Mm-hmm. So in essence, then, do you have less debris to pack out? Do you notice a, a smaller amount after a campfire night?
2: Yes, definitely.
0: You know, we've talked through L and T here a little bit, and you teach L and T, and you take college kids out camping. I'm curious what you see as like what you see as some of the more influential distractions to humans, distractions from humans being. In line with all seven principles of LNT, like what is the what are some of the the, the barriers to for humans to follow LNT really well?
2: Laziness, I would say, is the biggest one. I'm raising my <laughs> hand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, in order to enact on all of these seven principles, it's timely. Just like we were talking about with the fire, like man, that sucks when it's your job that morning to clean up all the ash and get it in your ammo can full of trash. So I would say laziness is probably the number one thing. Number two, I would say just that lack of education. You know, when I was growing up, I had no idea what LNT was. Like if someone would have been like, yeah, leave no trace, I'd have been like, okay, (laughs) what does that mean? You know, and even, you know, with students I work with today, you know, it's like these things seem like, Second nature almost like, oh, plan ahead and prepare. But when you really start diving into like, what does that actually mean? You know, it's just some people don't know. And that's a huge piece, you know, and you can't expect, I don't know, someone who just bought a brand new raft that's going to be taking it down the river with their family. You can't just assume that they're going to know these leave no trace principles and practice those. So I think it also comes down to just like educating individuals in all senses of what that means, like not just in a classroom setting, but, you know, talking to your camp neighbor about why we do things a certain way and obviously in a kind way. So really, I think it's just sharing that knowledge and trying to hold each other accountable for putting in the extra energy that it takes.
0: Right on. Well, Mackenzie Holbrook, thank you for taking the time and talking about l and and all these things uh, really yeah. related with us.
2: Cool. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, See ya. Thanks,
0: Take care. And again, we talk with Coulter for two last questions about L&T observations and philosophy. So what do you, what do you hear from your rangers and what do you observe that goes well with L&T? Like how, how are the humans who are traveling through the rivers of, of, your, of your zone up there, um, how are they doing? What, what goes well in terms of L&T practices?
1: Well, one of the things that comes natural to us, I think, in um, n- northwest Montana, Mo- Montana broadly in the river context, is having a healthy awareness of respect wildlife. I kind of told, mentioned that earlier, I think, um, that uh, because we have bears, and I'm not saying just grizzly bears, we just have a lot of bears, black bears, grizzly bears, no polar bears yet, but being prepared to respect wildlife. you are. We are in grizzly bear country and we are there on bear terms. So being ready to respect wildlife by um, managing your food, your kitchens well, keeping it clean, um, managing your scraps and your trash well, storing that properly and packing that out. And I think um, I wanna give credit for people also um, trying their best to plan ahead and prepare on the forest service side and I work closely with our Glacier National Park neighbors. We're trying, um, well, and also I wanna give credit to a nonprofit partner of ours, um, Flathead Rivers Alliance and Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks. We're trying to increase and heighten our plan ahead and prepare resources so that people have access to information so they can make smart choices, be prepared and make smart choices once they're here. And I appreciate people who are calling, emailing, not just to ask questions, but to give us feedback on what we can do better for that um, purpose. Hey, I wanted to get this information. I couldn't find it where not only where is it, but can you make that more easy for easier for me to find things like that so um, that's what comes to my mind around that.
0: I want to ask you that like the back end question of what is l and t so we've talked about all the details, the the standards and yeah what it means, and kind of some of these different like applications of it. Uh, but I'm curious, like from your standpoint of being a public land manager for service, uh, these wild and scenic river corridors where people really want to come visit, yeah. What does L and T mean at a at a deeper, less specific, more philosophical interpretation for
1: yeah. you for well, your agency? Yeah, so for me, leave, what this is at the heart of Leave No Trace is several things: honoring the river. And the land that's a part of that river, by minimizing your human impact to it, you get to come and enjoy and have these amazing experiences, take away memories. This is your way of returning a thank you and honoring that river by following these principles. Um, I hope everybody has a wonderful, beautiful and thrilling and impactful in the right ways, not (laughs) impacting the river, but I mean like impacting for you personally, visit to your river, wherever that may be. And you can thank the river by honoring it in that way, by practicing Leave No Trace. I think also behind that is in a certain sense to bring it full circle, to plan ahead and prepare. If you practice Leave No Trace now, and you also encourage others or help others to practice Leave No Trace now, That's part of your planning ahead and preparing to visit again, continuing to visit a river and enjoy that. Not just the one time, don't sample one time, please come back. But practicing Leave No Trace makes it so that you can come back and encouraging others to practice Leave No Trace. That's a part of planning ahead to come back and enjoy the river again. It's paying it forward in a sense. So that's to me what's behind the heart of Leave No Trace.
0: Okay, Coulter Pence, thank you for your time. Thanks for coming on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, you're welcome.
0: A perfect river beach camp size thank you goes out to both of our guests, Coulter Pence and Mackenzie Holbrook. You can find links to their work and l principles in today's show notes. Our advertising sponsors today are Downriver Equipment and American Whitewater. You can find web and Instagram links to both sponsors' websites and Instagram accounts in our show notes. You heard about Raftopia, which is the major gear sale at Downriver Equipment in Denver. That starts on March 27 and ends with a two day parking lot event on March 31st and April 1. I will be there as the MC. Come down and say hi. American Whitewater will also be there. Come check them out as well. All River Radius social media is managed by Samantha Sice. Today's music is composed and performed by Gene Reiniger. Be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining the river radius
2: too weird this is my cat yeah lisa lisa de i mean i'm a little nervous so i hope i don't ramble
1: she's ready for it to stop snowing as well
2: and then i get quiet it's more awkward than rambling actually actually how do you have half of a river ranger so i'm saying hi and give him a peace sign for bye